0: What a blessing to be back here on this side of the equator. I want to thank all of you who um, frankly prayed me back um, because I am not sure that without those prayers I'd actually be here with you this morning. God is good and greatly to be praised and we're here to rejoice in the Lord. If you turn in your Bibles this morning again to the first letter to the church at Corinth, we'll pick up in verse 17. And we're going to take, hopefully, the rest of the chapter this morning, though it's a lot of verses. It really has a single focus. And that single focus is being content where you are. And I don't know that there's a more practically important thing that we could look at in our day and time than this particular subject that's laid out here by the Apostle Paul, beginning in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're prone to be discontent, aren't we? We, we kind of look at situations and, and circumstances in our lives, and and I, you know, I, I know you all would never do such things, but I try and tell God what to do with my life occasionally. I, I very often remind Him that He's not doing things the, the way that I think He should. Now, now, my intent as a pastor is not to manipulate Him, of course. It's simply to acknowledge that I know better. Than he does. And you guys didn't laugh. You should. Because you all do the same thing. There are times that you pray lame prayers. Amen? Yes. Yeah, you do. We, we all do. We, we Oh, Lord, if you just do this, then I'd be that. If you just take care of this, then of course things would be the way I think they should be. Which are way better than whatever you're doing. And so he's going to use a couple of different analogies here, and they're really all linked together in a single thought, and it's being content where God has you. He's going to begin with the issue of marriage once again. But he's doing this for a purpose, I believe, and I think it's to really address contentment in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives, because there are so many things that we we seek after. There are so many things that we uh, put our attention, our time, our treasure, and our talents towards, and... And very frequently, they're really not things that I think God actually wants in our lives. We, we pray for things that he doesn't want. Uh, we don't pray for things that he does want, like patience and humility. And couldn't we go on with a large list of things that the Lord probably wants for us that we rarely pray about? And yet we pray for things that he probably doesn't want for us at all, like new BMWs. To be an Olympic athlete, you know, we're in the middle of the Olympics right now, and I'm, I'm an Olympics junkie, I admit it. I watch synchronized swimming. I, it just, uh, I don't even know why I watch it, it's just one of those things. It's just, it's one of the dumbest things that I've ever seen, but it's just like it's the Olympics, so. But we're sometimes discontent, and I pray that the Lord would minister to us this morning from this passage. Would you join me and let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. Father, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you for your work in our lives. And we pray that, God, uh, you would speak to us now through your word, cause us to hear it and receive it and grow. Lord, help us to live in that place of grace that the Apostle Paul talked about in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, for there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, we want to walk with you and serve you. We pray that you'd bless us, God, as we study your word. Fill us with your spirit to receive it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 17, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation this morning because I really think that it helps us understand this in the modern context. And it says, You must accept whatever situation the Lord's put you in and continue on as you were when God first called you and so the context of course is marriage and if you remember we were talking about in the in the last study that we had here that very often uh, I get this question as a, as a pastor you get married Maybe you didn't marry someone who loves the Lord. Maybe you didn't know the Lord when you got saved. And now you are saved, and your your spouse is not saved. And you're in this situation. I can tell you, I've been asked as a pastor, well, you know, now that I'm saved, should I divorce my husband or divorce my wife? Because they don't know the Lord. And, you know, our home isn't filled with the things of God. And we need to be content where God's called us. He called you while you were married. He called you in that place to where your spouse doesn't know Jesus. And the last thing on God's mind, and the last thing in His plan, is that you would create some other bad situation just simply because you got saved. Making snap decisions and being discontent causes a plethora of problems. And they lead to very dynamically bad situations coming into our life. I can't tell you how many times people, meaning well, thinking they've heard from the Lord, immediately go try and change some situation when what God wants to do is work in our hearts. He wants to work in the hearts of your unsaved spouse. He wants to work in the heart of your employer who doesn't know the Lord. He wants to work in the hearts of your teachers, professors in in school or perhaps in college. He wants to work through you to reach the world. And if every time a Christian gets saved, we withdraw ourselves from every circumstance that does not have the fragrance of Christ then where will be the fragrance of Christ in the world? And so we need to be content. And so he's going to expand on that. For this is my rule for all the churches. And for instance, a man who was circumcised before he became a believer should not try to reverse it. Well, duh. Yeah, I'm thinking that's really good counsel. But people get hung up on the minutia, don't they? You know, well, you know, I don't have a King James Bible. I actually had a guy, well, I don't, you know, I don't have a King James Bible. I don't read out of a King James Bible much anymore myself. I began my walk with the Lord reading from a King James Bible. I figured out after a while that, you know, I I really didn't care if I said these and thous all that much because nobody on, on this earth has used that language for about the last 150, 200 years. And so... Probably would be good if I had a little more modern translation. You're not going to have a greater walk with the Lord because of this minutia. And sometimes we focus in on these things that, frankly, family of God, don't matter. And we get hung up on the external instead of the internal. And we need to be hung up on the internal. What's God doing in my life and how is he working? He said, The man who was uncircumcised when he became a believer should not seek to be circumcised now. It just simply doesn't matter. These things are not important. You know, so very often we we look at the behaviors, we look at the attitudes, and we accept those things. And God cares about the attitude of heart way more than he cares about whether you do or do not have a tattoo whether you have or have not grown your hair out or cut it short. I got saved in a time when the entire United States was under the spell of hippies. I became one, okay? I I had hair at that time. I had long flowing locks, unlike what I have now, which is a chrome dome. But at that point in time, it's like you couldn't be in if you didn't have long hair if you weren't wearing bell-bottoms, if you didn't have those big stupid collared shirts, and if you didn't have love beads in your house. We get hung up on all the external things. And we want to fit in. And we want to be a part of the here and now. God has called you where you are. And He wants to work in our hearts, and in our minds, and then through our lives. And so, unless you're in something that's openly sinful, and let me make a remark here before we move too much further, and I believe we can condense these verses down this morning to get through it in our allotted time, unless you're engaged in something that's openly sinful, God's not calling you out of everything in your life. You 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 don't have to change jobs. You know, if you're okay, if you're a crack dealer, change jobs. Okay, if you, you know, teach some kind of dancing at some club somewhere, change jobs in Jesus name. Those things are openly problematic for God. They're not going to help you grow. But you don't have to start worrying about all these other little things. Let God work in your heart. You you kind of have to accept those things. You see to the Jewish people circumcision was a huge issue. It was gigantic. And there were people that believed at that time that you couldn't really be a full Christian unless you were also a full Jew. It's like they melded the two things together. And let me remind you that there's exactly one methodology behind which we become saved, and that is by grace and through faith. That's it. Period. Plain, simple. It doesn't matter what kind of clothes you wear or do not wear. It doesn't matter where, the, where you live. It certainly doesn't mean you have to be an American. It doesn't mean anything other than in Christ alone we stand. His blood has paid the price for us, and apart from His blood, no man sees heaven. So all these other things are insignificant in God's plan in his redemptive work in our lives. He, he he's focused in on our hearts and he's focused in on us asking to accomplish his will and not our own. He, he's not so much caring about all the stuff that seems to occupy our time so much of the time. If you became a Christian after marriage, of course God does not want you to divorce his spouse. That's a plain absolute contrary view to what the Word plainly teaches. And so he's really saying to us, stay where you are, be content, and grow where God has planted you. In fact, you may already be exactly where God wants you to be. He goes on in verse 20 to say, Now you should continue on as you were when God called you. Do you get the picture here? He's saying, where God called you, He wants to use you. And so if you're a teacher, if you're in construction, uh, if you were in a specific type of work and life and all of those things, you don't have to worry about changing all of that instantaneously. But as God changes you, if He wants your situation changed, He will show you those things and help you make the appropriate moves. But you don't have to radically go out and start doing everything you can to work on the outside. Work on the inside. Let God work in you to will and to do, uh, as is His good pleasure. You know, so very often we're concerned about what we could do for the kingdom. You know, I can't tell you how many zealous, wonderful, well-meaning Christians who give their life to the Lord, or maybe even more importantly have freshly come back to the Lord from a time of wandering in the wilderness of sin. Maybe you're one of those people whom you're just renewing your relationship with the Lord, and the first thing you want to do is become a missionary, or become a pastor, or go to Bible college. Now there's nothing wrong, of course, with any of those things. But God may not have called you at all to be any of those things. You're acting on that zeal of the Lord and maybe some well-founded need for change, but God isn't asking you to make ridiculous decisions on the spur of the moment. He doesn't work that way. And I can't tell you how many times I've watched people embark on some journey to you know, immediately go do something that they're not called nor qualified to do. God hasn't equipped that person for that particular place in ministry, and it becomes an abysmal failure, and the enemy uses that failure to cause them to feel like they can't even serve the Lord. Be content right where you're at. We need doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs, We need bookkeepers. We need clerks. We need people in sales. We need all of us serving the Lord right where we are until He shows us emphatically that it's time for some major change. And I would just give you this word of advice, and I believe it's from the Lord. If you're in doubt, stay where you are. If you don't know what to do, Doing nothing is a good course of action while you're praying to see what God wants you to do, okay? You don't have to just simply go change something for the sake of change. Verse 21, Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you, but if you get a chance to be free, take it. What awesome advice! In other words... It's good to want change. It's good to look for change. It's good to desire a better station in life. It's good to desire a greater use in the Lord. But don't fret over it. Don't lose your joy because you're so focused in on what you don't have or aren't doing. Let God use you right where you're at. Verse 22 goes on to say, And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, the Lord has now set you free from the awful power of sin. So you don't want to live in the sin that was your old life, but you don't have to change everything else to get out of it. Be careful, family of God. The enemy loves to use that disruption in our lives and the chaos that ensues from it to try and keep us, in essence, trapped in that old life. If you were free when the Lord called you, you're now a slave of Christ, for God purchased you at a high price. So, notice what it says, don't be enslaved by the world. It's the world you need to be worried about. It's not just your job. It's not your spouse. It's not your kids. It's the world, its system, and beyond that, its leader who is the enemy of your soul, the destroyer. Satan himself wants to get you all worked up over things that won't matter ultimately. Can I tell you something? When you get to heaven, God's not going to ask you what job you had. He's going to ask you what you did with Jesus. And he's going to ask you what you did for the kingdom. He's not going to ask where you lived. He's not going to ask if you were married to a Christian. He's not going to ask any of those things. He's going to ask what you did with Jesus. Did you receive and believe? Because that's how you're getting in. And then, what did you do for the kingdom? Begin that journey. Embark on that journey. You're now a slave for Christ, and so am I. And so he begins to use some additional analogies here. So, dear brothers, verse 24 goes on to say, and sisters, in whatever situation you were in, when you became a believer, stay there in your new relationship with God. Isn't that simple? God's not asking for you to change everything in your life. He's asking for the turnover of leadership. He's saying, you know what? You're now a slave to Christ. Let the Lord lead. And the Lord doesn't need to turn over everything in your life to use you right where you are. Moms, you have a full-time ministry to your children. Dads, you have a full-time ministry to your children. Husbands, you have a full-time ministry to your wives. We have a full-time ministry in being salt and light on this earth. you get the picture? You can serve the Lord anywhere you're at, doing Anything providing it's not openly sinful. And there are very few things on this earth that are openly sinful. A vast majority of things can be done as unto the Lord. Stay there in that new relationship. And now about the young women who are not yet married. I do not have a command for the Lord from them, but the Lord in His kindness has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I want to share it with you, He says. Because of this present crisis, I think it, Best that you remain just as you are. In other words, he's saying, in light of where we are in the world's uh, history and in the age of grace, you know, marriage is one of those things that can get, that can actually bring some difficulty into your life. Amen. If you're married, say amen because it does. There are things that now come into your life because you're actually married. Your your concerns are different. Your your thoughts are different. Uh, my first ministries I've shared with you is my wife. I am not free to do just anything I want to do. I am not a pastor first and a husband second. I am a husband first and a pastor second. Does that make sense to you? It's very important you understand this. So from the from that particular perspective, my first calling is to make sure I've taken care of my own wife my own children, and my own home. If I don't do that, I am not fit to be your pastor. And so my concern is not just if I can spend 40 hours every week simply studying God's Word. I have to still fix my water heater. I still have to take care of the things that that are necessary in my own home. And so because of that, there are issues in my life where I cannot dedicate necessarily, all the time that I would like to, to the things of God. Sometimes when people ask me, well, you know, can we just meet tomorrow? I still have to be a husband and a father. I cannot just abandon my family, because there are always counseling appointments. Amen? There are. All day, every day. I could do nothing but go into my office, turn on the light, and stay there until Jesus took me home. There's that many issues in running springs, okay? There are. Just I'll just stay there and you guys will have to bring me food and stuff and I'll just stay I mean, realistically there's that much ministry to do. So God's not concerned about all of that because he has more than enough saints on this earth to take care of that. He is concerned with me where I have been called being effective in that calling. And if I lose sight of that, I'll be out of ministry just like that. If I lose sight of my family, my wife, I'll be out just like that. And so he uses this as an example. Are you married? Don't seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Don't seek to look for a wife. Not because it's a bad thing, it's a good thing generally for almost all people, but it complicates your life. So be content. If you're single right now, you can do things that married people can't. And if you're married, you can do things that single people can't. Family of God, I can't tell you what it's like to be in a foreign country 7,000 miles away in a hospital that looks like a veterinarian's office, not a good one, by the way, being told by a cardiologist you've had a heart attack. The only thing I thought about, and you're going to be shocked, it wasn't you, it wasn't this church, it was not the camp, it was not my ministry, it was my wife. That's all I thought about. After that, I thought about the other things that God's called me to do. So, I need to make sure that I have ministry correct. I need to remember I was called as a married man. And this is an example to you. Where you've been called, be used of the Lord as you've been called. But if you do get married, it's not a sin. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 28 says, and if a young woman gets married, it's not a sin. Thank you, Jesus. However, I'm trying to spare you the extra problems that come with marriage. Let me share with you a few of those problems. And we're not going to make it through this whole passage. I prayed we would, but with everything else, we're just not. Let me, let me share with you a few closing thoughts here. Because this is how you can understand these things. Is marriage a good thing? Yes, he just said It's a good thing. It's not sin. Being unmarried, good thing, not sin. So it's neither one of those things determines your value to the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But being married doesn't fix loneliness at times. Amen? Ask my wife when I'm in Brazil in a hospital and she's here. Doesn't fix all the loneliness, does it? It doesn't fix all of your financial problems. Amen? Matter of fact, it exacerbates them at times, does it not? Because now you have two incomes and how to manage those things, and you take on extra things that you're thinking about doing. There's all kinds of problems that actually exist because you're married. They make your life a different type of life. Anger. Does marriage take away anger? It sure does not. Does it give you more patience? Absolutely. At least it does for the ladies. You're forced to have more patience. You see, there's all kinds of things that come into your life. Your deepest emotional needs are not automatically taken care of because of marriage. Amen? If you've been married for a while, say amen. amen. There are things we just are not quite there at. And people want to say, well, if I just had this, if I was just married... If I was just married to this other person, other than the person I'm currently married to, then I'd be okay. Family, we need to learn to live contented lives exactly where we are. Because our contentment, and here's what we need to close with, our contentment doesn't come from circumstance. Our contentment does not come from marriage or lack thereof. Our contentment doesn't come from children. Our contentment sure doesn't come from money. Our contentment doesn't come from a new house or a new car. Our contentment comes from the Lord and Him alone. And if you don't find your contentment in the Lord, then you will largely be discontented most of your life. Oh, you'll go through cycles of circumstantial blessing and circumstantial Curses, as far as we look at it. You'll go through times of prosperity and times of lack, need. You'll go through times of great emotional high and great emotional low. Do you get the picture? You see, if your contentment is in those things, then you'll always be discontented. Because no matter what part of your life is doing well, you'll always have part of your life that's not doing as well as you'd like. You'll always have things in your life that you don't want in your life. And so if your contentment is not in the Lord, then you're going to have problems with contentment. But if your contentment is in the Lord, then when those trials come, when those difficulties come, when those things in your life that God allows comes, your contentment will remain in spite of the circumstances. It doesn't mean you're going to be happy. It doesn't mean you're going to be going, I can't, oh, this is so awesome. I just had a heart attack in Brazil. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. You don't think that way. It's not some fruity, you know, your, your brain all of a sudden just doesn't realize danger or anything like that. It's my hope and my trust is in the Lord. And God, you called me this way. And if you called me this way, then I certainly have been called to live victoriously this way. And I want to just encourage you, family. Don't place your hope and trust in anything but the Lord. Nothing but the Lord. Not in your spouse, not in your kids. Not in this church, certainly not in me, not in our government, not in the economy, not in your retirement, not in anything but Jesus. And if you do that, then everything else will be exactly what God wants it to be. You'll handle those blessings in a way that's good for you. And you'll handle that time of trial in a way that's good for you. We need to learn to be content. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for even the difficult things in life that challenge us. And we just ask, Lord, that you'd help us to be content. Uh, Help us to draw our hope and our trust uh, from you. Help us to focus in on the things that you have called us to Lord God, in, in the little minutiae of life, without worrying about them, Lord. We, we want to just place those things in your tender care, knowing that you care for us. And so, God, I pray for anybody this morning that's just brought in some burden. Lord, they're discontented in some area of their life. Uh, would you minister in just a powerful way in this place this morning? Uh, help us to refocus on what matters. Lord, help us to to love our wives as husbands as you have loved us. Lord, Lord, help us to, to love our children, Lord, as the precious treasure that they are. Help us to live lives that look to you to be our source of provision and strength and blessing and healing. God, help us to put you first in all things. Help us to always be content, Lord, even if we're going through a difficult time. God, would we just lean on You. We bless You. We praise You. We thank You in all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.